Hi, my name is Annalise. The Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 16, 4 through 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instruction. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as they collected on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians 8-9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes, so that you could become rich through his poverty. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 6, 9 through 11. Pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. The gospel of the Lord. Remain standing as we pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We ask now that as we listen to your word being taught and being read, that you would open up our hearts, Lord, that we would be open to your spirit, we would be open to what you're saying and doing in this place. God, draw us near to yourself, like we sang about this morning, draw us close to you. Let not this prayer be a mental exercise alone, but Draw us deeper into relationship with you, we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, New Life Downtown. Great to see all of you. I leave for two Sundays, and we go country all of a sudden. <laughs> know what's going on, Aaron Keys? Uh, some of y'all like that. Um, I, I had the privilege two Sundays ago of preaching at New Life North, and then last Sunday I was at Nueva Vida. One of the great joys of my role is I get to kind of uh, serve as a coach slash overseer to our offsite congregations, of which we are one of them, but I very rarely get to uh, preach at those other offsite congregations, and, uh, and, and this year I'll be getting to do that a bit more, so I went to Nueva Vida last Sunday, and I got to tell you, guys... It's amazing. Like if you, if you're ever, I, I, I want you here at New Life Downtown, but if you're ever like, let's go experience a different uh, uh, thing. Manitou's great. Midtown is great. East is great. I know Aaron was leading it at Midtown and East the last couple of weeks. Uh, and Nueva Vida is a special, special place. So, but it's, that's our Spanish language congregation, by the way, at Circle and Dale. But I am always so happy to come back here. And I was super sad last week when I heard uh, that some folks had made their first return back, like Jim and Beth, and I missed your first Sunday back last week, but it was so good to see you guys. We have missed you. We love you. I'm just, I tell you, one of the great um, things we're learning through the season is how, the beauty of seeing one another's faces, isn't it? And the, the joy of being 
together. So thank you for journeying with us. Those of you that are still uh, watching online, watching at home, we want you to be safe. We want you to choose when the time is right for you. But we just want you to know that there's nothing like seeing your face in the room. And so whenever that's possible, we just can't wait for that. And Becca Friesen, to have you back on the worship team this morning. I don't know if Becca's in the room or not. We've missed Becca. Becca was on our staff. She used to do all the announcement stuff, and and now she's uh, focusing in this season on being a mom to little Ingrid. And uh, Becca, we love you. I love that Becca was talking about kids being dependent on uh, their parents for food. It is kind of an easy life, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I was... We were, we were in California earlier this week and we were watching these like 12, 13 year old boys just arrive after school on the beach in their wetsuits, just running out to surf without a care in the world. And, and Aaron goes, kids, you don't know how good you have it right now. You know, someone else is paying your bills, feeding your mouths. You're just, all you got to do is catch the right wave, dude. Something happens as we grow older, we start to recognize that we become responsible for our own needs. Uh, and, and depending on the house you're growing up in, you might recognize that earlier than others. For our younger two, we have four kids, and uh, our younger two realize that earlier because I don't know if parents in the room who have multiple kids, but the first one, you're like super attentive to their needs, you know? Even the second kid, you're like, okay, I'll get, make sure they have what they need. By the third or fourth, you're like, can't you just like cook your own steak tonight? I mean, do I have to feed you? It was probably six, maybe seven years ago when Jonas and Jane were four and two or five and three, somewhere around that. It was a Saturday morning and Holly and I were trying to sleep into that luxurious hour of 7 a.m. on a Saturday. You know what I'm talking about. And they're, they're in the room. They've been awake for two hours already. I'm like, it's Saturday. They don't care. And they're like, we're starving. I'm like, you're going to make it. They're like, we're so hungry. We're going to die. I'm like, oh, let me tell you about the people who are really starving, you know. And they're, but they're, they give up on waiting for us. And they decide to do something on their own. Of course, we don't know this. We're in and out of sleep until we hear the crash. And they had decided to try to heat up a bowl of instant oatmeal for themselves and the microwave was low enough that they could do it, except that they'd chosen a bowl that got super hot. And so as soon as they held the bowl out of the microwave, they let go of the bowl. Boom! Crash! So I groggily drag myself out of bed. I come down there and what do I find but shattered, a shattered bowl on the floor, oatmeal on the floor, and Jonas with a broom sweeping up the oatmeal. I mean, it would have been better if I'd just gotten up and made him breakfast, you know? Because now we've got a bigger mess. But you learn, I think you learn as a kid that at some point you recognize you're going to have to be responsible for your own needs. But maybe before that, you actually kind of start to internalize a message that your needs come at a cost to someone else. Now, I think kids start to learn it, then during their teenage years, there's a regression of that awareness that your needs come at a cost to someone else. But part of life is recognizing that, oh, I I have to do some stuff to take care of myself. And in human growth and development, we say, well, there's a healthy trajectory where you move from dependence to sort of independence and then maybe interdependence. All of that is true. But in our life with God, it's just the opposite. 
In our life with God, maturity is not the trajectory from dependence to independence. In our life with God, maturity is from independence to dependence. It's the only area of our life that actually works in the reverse. The goal is not to get what you need from Jesus and then say, thanks, I'll take it from here. The goal is to grow in dependence on the Lord. So We're in this series called Praying with Jesus, and the whole point of this series is about learning how to pray. Whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or four months, being a Christian is all about the life of prayer because prayer is how we grow in relationship with God. And this prayer that Jesus gives his disciples is a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer that teaches us to address God in terms of intimacy and dependence. Father implies that we are children. And being a child is not normally the state that we'd like to be in. By the way, they're working on the air conditioning in here. I'm literally shivering as I'm preaching. Like, it's May 1st. All right, Matthew 6, verse 9 through 11. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. I'd like to work through that last phrase backwards. Give us the bread we need for today. I'd like to start with the end of that sentence and then work our way backwards through this phrase. And unlike a typical sermon of mine, we're actually, I actually want to say five things about this phrase. One is sort of a preamble and one is sort of a wrap-up and three things in the middle about bread. So five things today. The ending of the phrase we need for today. The first thing to recognize about praying this prayer is that this is a prayer for contentment. This is a prayer for contentment. The bread we need for today. I like how the Common English Bible puts it. If you, maybe you've, you know, you're familiar with the old traditional version, give us this day our daily bread, and thought it just seems kind of redundant. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, one of those words didn't need to be said, right? But when you read it here in the Common English Bible, you you sort of get the emphasis that this is the bread that we need for today. And there there is, of course, a reference here back to the scene in the wilderness of manna that came and they were not to store up manna for more than one day. It was just enough for today and we're going to talk about that more throughout the sermon. But a prayer for contentment shows up quite a bit. The idea of contentment. Listen to Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches. Now I understand half of that prayer. Give me not poverty. Yes, Lord. Amen. Give me not riches. Well, I mean, do we really want to pray that? But give me only my daily bread. Wait a minute. Proverbs, the book of wisdom, teaches us to pray this way? Why? Verse 9. Otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Did you know that times of prosperity are actually more threatening to our life with God than times of lack? That's not to say that poverty is a virtue or prosperity a vice. 
It just means you should be aware that your state of dependence on God is more at risk when you don't have much to depend on Him for. When you say, well, you know, it's fine. I mean, we, we, we can take care of this. We can take care of that. We can, we can do this. We can do that. I, I don't really need it. And so the wisdom in the Proverbs says, if I have too much, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? I vaguely remember Him from my childhood. Something about church somewhere. I read a Sunday school story. I don't really need that now. Or he says, if I become poor, I may steal. And so dishonor the name of my God. But of course, the Proverbs, because they are books, they're sayings of wisdom, not specific instructions or mandates. The Proverbs give us a general guidance here. What is poverty and what is riches and how much is enough and maybe the harder question how much is too much and can we really say that we shouldn't spend this much on shoes or jeans or vacations or homes or cars how much is enough and how much is too much this is where you come across you come you run into questions that I can't answer for you And that no one can really answer for you. But that you and the Lord have to wrestle this through. But it's important to recognize that this way of living and this way of thinking runs against the stream of American culture. It runs against the stream of sort of the American way because the American way is the more you make, the more you spend. Uh, Increase income, increase standard of living. And you know the phrase that We spend money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people we don't like. (laughs) And so daily bread or the bread we need for today is like, well, maybe a little bit more than bread. There's a leadership coach and writer named Andy Crouch who lived in the Boston area and now is in the Philadelphia area and does a lot of sort of high-level strategic coaching with business leaders and CEOs of companies and of ministries. One of the things he's advised the young people for for years is to say, decide early on in your career where you're going to cap your standard of living. And this is is not the word of the Lord. This is the advice of, of Andy Crouch, and you can decide what to do with it. But he says, decide early on where you're going to cap your standard of living because if all goes well, your earning potential is really going to go through the roof. And you've got to decide, this is about where we need to live. And if there's surplus, we'll save, we'll invest, and we'll bless other people with it. But we don't need to keep storing up. There are different ways of doing that. And we live in a country that gives us lots of different options with foundations and family trusts and investment tools and all of that stuff. The point is how much goes toward our own consumption. That's the point about bread. Bread is to be consumed. So how much bread is enough? More than you can consume? Just to have it? I've been reading a book by the former chief rabbi in the UK, a man named Jonathan Sachs. He died of cancer last year. Lord Jonathan Sachs. Former chief rabbi in the UK. And the book is called Morality. And in the book he's arguing that in our society in the West we've lost a common moral vision. And when you've lost a sense of sort of common moral vision, you actually lose a sense of solidarity as a society. And so all that's left is 
are two instruments, the instrument of the market and the instrument of the state. And so when there's no moral impulse that's shared in a society, all you're left with is to economically incentivize people or to use the instrument of politics and government to control people. And he says, look, what we've discovered is that markets are really great at creating wealth, but markets are not really good at distributing wealth. And in the absence of a kind of shared morality of taking care of one another and being generous to one, in the absence of that sort of shared morality, since markets fail to distribute it, guess who steps in? The government. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I don't like that. I don't like these capital gains increases, and I don't like these increased taxes. I, I'm, I'm with you in that. It, it, we, we don't want to get to the place where society relies on government to distribute wealth. The kingdom has a different way. The kingdom says, if you could just think about daily bread, then you can also think about someone else's daily bread. That's why in this prayer, there's no I, me, or my. It's not give me my daily bread, and and I hope they figure it out too. It's give us this day our daily bread so that we begin to think about others. But you're going to be swimming upstream in 1980. The, uh, since 1980, the average pre-tax income of the top 10% of American earners has doubled. It's good. That of the top 1% has tripled. That of the top 0.001% has increased seven times. Meanwhile, the pre-tax income of the bottom 60% has stayed the same or gone down. You see it happening in Colorado Springs with housing prices. And you realize there is a sharp disparity in income and economics. In the U.S., the ratio of CEO to their average employee, in 1989, it was 6 to 1, or 61 to 1, excuse me. In 1989, the average CEO earned 61 times the average employee. You might be aghast at that. But in 2019, it was 320 to 1. 320 to 1. So we can, we can gripe about that and say, I hate the markets. Markets are great at creating wealth. And you can say, well, then the government should force them to give it to us. I don't think that works very well. Or we could say, as kingdom people, there is a different way. And earning is not evil, but hoarding is. Riches are not wicked, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying, God, this is a prayer for contentment. Teach me to know where enough is so that someone else can have enough too. Make me an instrument of this. Our contentment can actually lead to someone else's provision. And our greed can result in someone else's lack. Now think about that for a moment. Our contentment can lead. If I say, this is good. Oh, what do you want? You want this here? You can have this because I'm, I'm good right here. Or our greed can result in someone else's lack. Why are you collecting all these things? I don't know, just because I can. But is that benefiting anyone? I don't really care. Are, are you saving and investing? Is this for an inheritance? I don't really know. It's just to see how much I can amass. Is it going to be for the good of society? I, I don't really care. Our greed can result in someone else's lack, but our contentment can result in someone else's provision. 
Proverbs 22 verse 9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. The ESV says they share their bread with the poor. The Proverbs is full of helping us understand that yes, it's okay to associate material prosperity with divine blessing. They don't always go together, but it surely is great to give God thanks as the source of that. But having received material prosperity, what then then do you do with it? And we're meant to sort of recognize that even as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're meant to embrace a spirit-discerned, community-influenced contentment. Spirit-discerned, people-of-God-influenced contentment. What I've loved about New Life Downtown, and I've said this before, is from the earliest years you've been mindful of that. How many of you have been around downtown long enough to remember when we had the needs board in the lobby? Remember the needs board? Someone would would put a three-by-five card of, I need this, a a mattress or a washer or a handyman. And then someone on the other side of the board would, or someone would come up and then just take and say, oh, I can do that. I'll call that. I've got this. We used to do that. Then we got a little too big for that, so we got this Facebook group. But even in the last 13 months, different ones of you have quietly said, hey, I want to... I want to give away uh, part of our stimulus check. I want to buy someone groceries. Who needs this right now? Who needs a, 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 a place up here? We, we, can, we can take care of that. We can do this. We can do it. You guys are doing that. That's what the kingdom way looks like. The people of God don't rely on the instruments of the market or the state. The people of God live in a kingdom way. And we, we're like, those are fine. That's, that, that's great. But we've got a different way of taking care of one another. It's by praying, give us this day our daily bread. Amen? But then this phrase, bread. I want to say three things about bread. What are we praying for when we pray for bread? What is the bread we need today? There's several resonances of bread in the Old Testament. And I want to just name three. The first is this. This is a prayer for sustenance. I mean, just at the most basic level, bread is the staple food. You've heard me talk about this in Blessed, Broken, Given. Every culture around the world has some version of bread, whether it's naan bread or baguette bread or America's sliced white bread. We've got, every culture's got bread. Bread's the basic. And it was the same in Jesus' day. This is what we're going to start with. We don't know what else we're going to eat, but at least we'll have bread. So it's a prayer for sustenance. And of course, in our Old Testament reading this morning, when the people of God are exiting the wilderness and they're journeying, or exiting Egypt and journeying in the wilderness, they're saying, God, did you bring us out here to die? And he says, okay, okay, there's going to be manna from heaven. There's going to be this thing that you don't even know what it is, but it's going to be your daily bread. I don't know how many of you have had seasons in your life where you've literally had to depend on God for regular sustenance. Uh, In 1988, my parents, our whole family moved from Malaysia to Portland, Oregon. And my dad gave up a a, a great well-paying job at an ad agency in Malaysia. It was a New York-based ad agency and he had some great clients that had great perks and gave all of that up because the Lord was calling he and my mom to go to Bible college in Portland, Oregon cashed out all their savings, moved my sister and I, and we moved into this little tiny duplex apartment that was fully furnished with Goodwill furniture, (laughs) Uh, springs that were poking through the couch, 
I was 10 years old. I thought it was awesome. And we were in America, you know. It didn't really occur to me at that age how difficult it was. My dad got a job working as a janitor at the church while going to school during the day. He would vacuum the carpets and clean the toilets in the evenings for the church. Made, I think, minimum wage was $4.25 maybe. And I, we, we didn't eat out because we couldn't. And I remember sometimes my dad and we lived, our apartment was right by this little um, convenience store. And if you showed up after 10 o'clock, the chimichangas were half price. And so we, we'd wait. We don't want to spend two bucks on a, on a burrito, fried burrito, you know. That's what a chimichanga is, basically. But after 10, it was 99 cents or something like that. Maybe 50 cents, I don't know. But we'd walk down there, grab a couple of those, eat it, and enjoy it, and come back to the apartment. It was awesome. We had our daily bread. There was one time where my sister and I were like, oh, we just really want some pizza. You know it's bad when, like, pizza is luxury food. Like, we just really want some pizza. My parents were like, we just don't really want to spend the money on Pizza Hut right now. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, and the family in the apartment around from us uh, was moving in and they said hey we just had a bunch of people come help us move and we ordered pizza for everybody and there's some extra you guys want a couple boxes we're like manna from heaven (laughs) with cheese and pepperoni too those were the kinds of little miracles that you that we remember about those years but if you've had if you've had moments in your life where you're literally depending on God for sustenance. Those are the moments where you recognize this prayer at the most basic level is, God, could you get me what I need to get through the day? That's what I need. But it's more than that. It's not just a prayer for material provision and sustenance. When you compare Matthew's gospel with the book of Exodus, sometime this would be worth you studying it, Matthew's gospel is basically a retelling of Exodus through the life of Jesus. The people of Israel go out of Egypt into the wilderness. Jesus was taken to Egypt as a little toddler, remember, to escape Herod. And out of Egypt, he he comes back. And does Jesus go into the wilderness? Yes, 40 days instead of 40 years. He's tempted like they were tempted, but he was found without sin. It was after the wilderness that Moses goes up on Sinai and comes down with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. It's after Jesus' time in the wilderness that he goes and sits down and gives the Sermon on the Mount. In which he said, you have heard Moses say, but I say unto you. We're meant to see Jesus' ministry as a new exodus for the people of God. And we're meant to see Jesus as a new kind of Moses. Jesus is bringing about a new kind of deliverance. And bread is a metaphor not just for sustenance, but actually for deliverance. Bread is a metaphor for deliverance. How do we know this? Daily bread from heaven in Exodus is connected, is connected with freedom and justice, deliverance. Think about why in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That word for righteousness, it's not talking about moral purity. That word for righteousness is the same word for justice, for things to be set right, internal and external. The bread of justice, 
This week I was reading a sermon from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King had a sermon called The Knock at Midnight. And he was referring to that story that Jesus told about a friend who knocked at his neighbor's house at midnight and said, would you give me bread? And the neighbor says, no, I will not get up and give you bread. And Dr. King said, people are coming knocking on the doors at church while it's midnight in our world asking for the bread of justice, asking for the bread of peace, asking for the bread of economic provision. Bread has long been a metaphor for not just physical provision, but actually for the kind of deliverance that we need. This is a prayer for deliverance. In Psalm 146, 6 through 7, you see the two things come together. God, the maker of heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them. God, who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving, the Lord who frees prisoners. In our minds, we're like, these are two very different things. But in the Jewish imagination, in the Hebrew imagination, having come from Egypt into a wilderness where there was bread from heaven, they saw it together. When we're asking for daily bread, we're not just asking for sustenance, we're asking for deliverance. Bring justice, bring peace. But bread in the Old Testament, of course, is also a metaphor for the law, for the Torah. Daily bread is connected to the giving of the law at Sinai. You know this from our series a couple years ago, but the Ten Commandments is not a bunch of rules. They're meant to be instructions on how to live as a free person. The word Torah, properly translated, means instruction or teaching. This is the way to live. How many of you wake up on a Monday morning and you're like, I really need to know how to live today. I really need to know how to handle my job today. That's what we turn to God for. That's what we're singing when we sang earlier, this is my daily bread, your very word spoken to us. This is why Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness and Satan said to him, if you're the son of God, turn these, bread, these stones into bread. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying bread itself is a picture of God's word. So this is a prayer for guidance. It's a prayer for guidance. When we talk about bread, we mean at least these three things. Sustenance, deliverance, guidance. Let's pause for a minute right where you are. And maybe if you're taking notes or if you have a phone or whatever, you just say, well, what is the bread I'm praying for today? Maybe the bread you're praying for is no literal provision. God, I need to make rent this month. Maybe the bread you're praying for is deliverance. You're like, God, I just, I need to be rescued out of the situation that has just got me all entangled. Maybe the bread you're praying for is guidance. You're like, God, I need, I need wisdom. I, I'm, I'm trying to make it through this day and I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. It's important to us to recognize that God is a speaking God, not the God who spoke. He is the speaking God, not the God who spoke. 
When we say he's the God who spoke, that's like, okay, give me that guidance and instruction one time and then I'll just move on. We are not meant to sort of take the Bible as like that one time God spoke. We're meant to open up the Bible and to say, now speak again. Now speak again as I read it. Now speak again as I pray. Now breathe it into me again. This is why we read the Bible, not to study up on what God one time once said to one people somewhere a long time ago in a galaxy far away. We open up the scriptures to say, now Spirit of God, speak again. Speak again to me. Guide me again today. This is my daily bread. What is the bread you're crying out for? What is the bread you're hungry for? The beginning of this phrase, this prayer, we've been working backwards, we need for today, the bread, the opening two words, give us. This is the first time in the Lord's Prayer where we're going to pray something in reference to us. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But now we begin to turn, we say, now God, can I talk to you about me? And the phrase is, give us. And so finally, this is a prayer of dependence. This is a prayer of dependence. Give us. I need this. I can't make it without this. This may be news to some of you, but while there can be self-made Americans, there are no self-made Christians. There are no self-made Christians. While you might be a self-made businesswoman or a businessman or a self-made whatever it might be, there are no self-made Christians. The only way we grow up in Christ is by dependence on the Lord. And it also means that you never graduate from grace. This is a month of graduations. I hope that people will get a better shot at it than they did last year. But you never walk across the stage and God says... Magna cum laude, take it from here. You don't graduate from grace. You say, wow, A plus in Christianity, keep going now. You are ready for the real world. You don't graduate from grace. You are always dependent on God's grace. Always dependent on God's grace. But we don't actually like that. (laughs) We don't like that. I don't want to be dependent. Do I have to be? I mean, don't I know more? And for me, the reason I don't like that is because it means I have to give up control. I don't want to give up control. Now, there's a part of this in which God actually empowers us, and we have new power and new agency and all of that stuff. That's also true. Christianity, you'll find that sometimes there's, it almost seems like you're holding things together that, that how do these things actually work together? It doesn't mean you become passive or fatalistic. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about going through life like que sera, sera, whatever it will be. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that even as you're making choices, even as you're going after your goals, even after, as you're trying to be intentional about your life and your business and your friendships, and even as you are filling up your calendar and all of those things, even as you're doing that, you are living from a place of dependence. See, the people of Israel, after Egypt and after the wilderness, would enter the promised land where they would have to plant stuff. They would have to dig their own wells. Did it ever, has it ever occurred to you that the promised land required more work than the wilderness? I mean, in the wilderness, it's like you're hungry, boom, manna. Thirsty, water from a rock. 
You get to the promised land, God's like, yeah, you're going to have to dig some wells. You're going to have to raise livestock. You're going to have to plant crops. Whoa, that's the promised land? Excuse me? Life with God is not Jesus dop, you know, spraying, sprinkling fairy dust on you and everything just works out. You, you are going to work, but the lessons of the wilderness are meant to be sustained in the promised land. The lessons of the wilderness are meant to continue in the promised land. That even as we enter this place where we're saying, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to work. I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to pay the mortgage. And we're going to have to live by a budget. And we're going to have to be careful about investments. And we're going to make all these wise choices. Yes, but never lose the lesson of the desert. And the lesson of the desert is, I depend on you. I depend on you. Give us. Give us. This is why in Deuteronomy, right, as they're about to go into the promised land. Do you remember this? I think it's Deuteronomy 8 where God says, when you go and when you build houses and when you plant vineyards and when you have all of these crops and when your number multiplies, what does he say? Do not say, my hand has gotten me this. Do not say, I did that. But say, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt, the house of slavery. Always say that. No matter where you go in life, young people, people who are not so young, <laughs> whatever season you are in life, don't look at, your, uh, at what you have and say, yeah, man, I did that. Woo! Always look at your life and see it as gift. See it as gift. Say, oh, God, thank you for that. Wow. God, I, thanks for the health. Thanks for the strength. Thanks for the network of relationships that made this possible and this possible and this possible. Everything is gift. But in order to see gift, you have to see limit. In order to see gifts, you have to see limits. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, limits don't limit us from being fully human. They only limit us from being God. I like that. Limits don't limit us from being fully human. Sometimes we think, if I'm fully human, I will have no limits. It's maybe a good talk of a business ballroom speech. Life without limits. Your business beyond limits. <laughs> now, for only $10,000 an hour, you too can have my coaching plan. <laughs> so I can live without limits while you're still poor. It's a little cynical. I apologize. <laughs> but that's not the kingdom message, is it? Live with that. Limits don't limit us from being fully human. They only limit us from being God. And then he says, do we want to live without needs? Then we want to live without God. Our needs are a continuous invitation to live in a reality of gift giving and gift receiving. Wow. Our needs are a continuous invitation to live in a reality of gift giving and gift receiving. You want to live with gratitude? You got to live with a gift mindset. But if you want to live with a gift mindset, you need to live with a limitations mindset. Sounds backwards, doesn't it? I want to live with gratitude. Right. So you're going to have to receive things as gifts. Okay. But that means you're going to have to acknowledge that you have needs. Oh, can't I jump to gratitude without acknowledging needs? You really can't. There's no way around it. 
The only way to live with gratitude is to live with dependence. It's to live with needs and limitations. I depend on you. Matthew 7, right after giving us this prayer, Jesus gives us this short parable phrase, parabolic phrase. Who among you will give your children a stone when they ask for bread? Or give them a snake when they ask for a fish? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? How much more? Will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? How much more? Dependence is not hard when you recognize that the Father is the how much more kind of Father. He's the how much more kind of God. And this is why prayer doesn't have to be a transaction. I once heard a TV preacher say, you put a quarter into the Coke machine, don't you expect to get a, quote, a Coke? So when you give to God, why don't you expect to get answers to your prayer? And at the young age of 18, I said, because God's not a Coke machine. Like, it's not that hard. Like, because nowhere in the scriptures do we get compared, does God get compared to a transactional creature? He is a father who is how much more? The whole invitation of this prayer is an invitation into relationship. Dependence is about abiding. Dependence is about being close. We said at the beginning that we become aware that our needs come at a cost to someone else. Well, friends, the gospel tells us that we serve a God who gladly paid this price. Who gladly paid this price. The father who gladly gave his son, the son who gladly became poor, 2 Corinthians 8 Verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes so that you could become rich through his poverty. The fullness of God's guidance, sustenance, and deliverance is ours. Our needs do come at a cost, but it's a cost that Christ willingly paid. Did you bow your heads with me this morning? As we get ready to come to the Lord's table, we come fully aware of our dependence for bread and for drink, for sustenance, guidance, deliverance at the table of the Lord. Just begin to prepare your hearts and become aware of the presence of the Lord with you.